Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I am your host, Tatiana Berende, and I'm really delighted to have with me today Scott Katamis. Um, he is an incredible man. We are going to be discussing using your conscious mind in relationship. Before we dive in, let me tell you a little bit about him. Scott used to have a very successful career as a writer, director, and producer of educational programming, where he won multiple Emmy Awards, and he reached millions of people through his productions. Scott worked with many leaders in the new thought field, including Dr. Marshall Rosenberg, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Ram Das, and on and on. Scott was so impressed with the transformational power of these tools that he shifted into being a full-time life coach and teacher. Since 2007, Scott has facilitated over a thousand classes, events, and workshops, and has personally coached over 350 individuals, couples, families, and small businesses throughout the US, Europe, and Asia. In November of 2011, Scott experienced a big life change when his beloved wife died of a massive brain tumor. Scott has dedicated the rest of his life to supporting people to enjoy life and love to the fullest. In 2012, he created the Love Coach Academy, which trains other relationship coaches through retreats around the world and an ever-growing online library. He lives in Northern California and travels worldwide, and I am so grateful to have you on the show with us today, Scott. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So before we dive into this really fun topic that I'm very much looking forward to exploring with you about using your conscious mind in relationship. Um, will you please tell our audience what your superpowers are? Yeah, thank you. You know, it's always like, wow, how do I do this without sounding like I'm egotistical, but I guess you're used <laughs> to that. Right? Yes, so claim my power. Yes. Let me claim it. Yeah. Um, well, I notice it's still easier for me to say that others will tell you um, that Scott is, a lot of people say that I'm the most compassionate man they've met. Um, so certainly I have a very strong superpower of compassion. And it's, it's something I've spent a long time cultivating. Um, early, early, early in my life, when I was asking that question, who am I? Um, I always actually got the same answer, which is, I am an agent of change through the power of love. Mm -hmm. And I've been yes. working with that vision, that idea, that concept for well, a long time, probably 50, 45 years. Mm. And I've come to experience and believe that the power of love is the power of compassion. Um, that when we are really feeling another person, when we are really getting another person, when we're really walking in another person's shoes, that's that's love in action. So, um, so I'm going to just pause you for a second because I, I think that the way I would love to hear you flesh out, not that I think that any of our listeners are idiots by any stretch of the imagination, but I, just for like, just just to have some lining up of terms and, and agreement of what we're talking about. You know, compassion is a word that is used a lot, but I'm not sure that everybody necessarily understands what that means and what we mean when we say it. And you know, yeah. you were just talking about walking in another person's shoes and and really getting where another person is. And a word that I often use when when talking about that is understanding. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and it feels like so yeah i just like bring us into your world a little bit with like what i mean i can feel it and i'm sure our listeners can feel it too but let's just let's flush it out with words a little more sure well for starters the word compassion uh is from latin language and it means with passion and kind of the literal meaning is to feel with each other to feel the passion and passion actually in the the original latin term wasn't so much about romance and sexuality as it was about feeling um even pain so compassion so like empathy basically empathy absolutely yeah. empathy um so uh and and i use the word empathy quite frequently sometimes i use compassion sometimes i use empathy um so what we're wanting to do is feel with another and so often when somebody's having uncomfortable feelings in our culture we judge it as bad feelings negative feelings and we're quick to correct it oh don't be so sad oh don't get so angry right so there's two common examples and what it really is is we are uncomfortable when someone else in our field is sad or angry. Yeah. And because we're uncomfortable, we want to change it. Don't cry. Don't get mad at me. But in our truly compassionate loving place, we don't try and change it. We don't try and deflect it. We certainly don't gaslight and make them wrong for having those feelings. Like you just said, we drop into understanding. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about why you're sad. Yeah. Or even tell me more about why you're angry with me right now. Yeah, I, I think in the spiritual communities, actually, that can happen a lot too, where it's like, oh, you must be negatively creating <laughs> right. if, you're, if you're having a, a difficult emotion. And yeah. so, so you did something wrong. Right. Because oh, I, you're having a hard feeling right now. And therefore, I need to distance myself from you because it's contagious. Yeah. Oh, my God. Isn't that yeah. about the most unspiritual way of thinking? I know. <laughs> right? I know, but it happens all the time, right? Yeah. I like to joke that, you know, um, when somebody does that, you know, when somebody's in pain and the other person goes, So why did you create that? Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, well, then you just slug that person and say, why did you just create the wedding group? <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly the most compassionate <laughs> response. It just blew my, my story about my superpower. Being compassion, but <laughs> it's like, you know, but there it is. It's like the gift of presence, right? And we, you know, what is being spiritual to me has nothing to do with the books that you read or even the church that you go to. It's how do you treat other people? Absolutely. Really, that to me is like the real, the real marker of, of spirituality. And some of the people I've met that I admire as very spiritual beings are very quiet, very humble, and they just quietly go about their way, making the world a better place mm -hmm. with not a lot of fanfare. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. They don't have websites. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with having a website, but some of them. Oh no! Now I can't promote my website at the end of this. Oh no! Oh, it's truly spiritual. I'm sorry. 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 I'm
sorry. That was the worst segue because we do have to go. Do you remember there was a wonderful scene in the movie Life of Brian, which is Monty Python's take on Christ, right? And so everybody thinks he's the Messiah and he's not the Messiah. His mother's saying, he's not the Messiah. He's just a dirty boy. So anyway, they're all saying, he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And he says, no, I am not the Messiah. And then people go, only the true Messiah would say he's not the Messiah. So then he goes, okay, I'm the Messiah. And then they go, he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like whatever you do, people are going to believe what they want to believe, right? So, so true. Yeah. Um, I am really looking forward to diving into Scott. Before we got on the recording, we were, you know, we had a great conversation about how he guides clients to use their conscious mind and the sort of the frontal lobes of the brain get out of the the anterior brain. And we're going to dive into that when we get back from the break, but we do have to go to a quick break. And before we do, will you please give our audience um, the information where they can go to find out more about you and your work, Scott? Absolutely. They can go to my not so humble website (laughs) (laughs) at www.lovecoachscott.com. Lovecoachscott.com. Thank you. So we've been talking with Scott Katamas about using your conscious mind in relationship more when we get back. Stay tuned. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. All right, we are back. So Scott, you and I had a conversation about a week ago and, and, um, and you were talking about this work that you do with couples to really get them out of the reptilian brain um, right. out of that like triggered response into more conscious relating. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about, about why that's important and, and how you support people in doing that? Yeah, of course. So no matter who we are, um, no matter how spiritually advanced we might be, when certain things happen in our life and we get triggered, we can get abducted by our own reptile brain. Um, And of course, I'm sure everybody who's listening can relate to it. And maybe some of you, it happened to you earlier this morning or yesterday. It happens a lot. And it's, it's not because we're bad or wrong or not spiritual. It's biological. Um, The, when a child is conceived, um, the very first thing that's formed in the first 24 hours of after conception is actually what becomes the reptile brain. Our entire spinal column and body is built around this little, and ends up about the size of a walnut in the back of our brain, and it's the survival center uh, because we were designed to survive. And so this reptile brain um, is the oldest part of our body. From an anthropological point of view, it's ancient. It's not very different from what the dinosaurs had. Um, 
and it's all about survival. So bringing it into present time, when we perceive the possibility of attack, not attack itself, just the possibility of attack, our reptile brain sends a synapse through our, our body, and we choose fight, flight, or freeze. Now, this is really important for our ancestors going back hundreds or even thousands of generations because they were in constant physical survival. So that was awesome. It kept them alive long enough to procreate, and here we are. We are living at an amazing time in human history where we really are shifting from a survival-based way of living into thriving. Yes. Most of us are blessed. We are not in physical survival. Um, and we're learning to thrive. But we still have that mechanism in our brain. So now what happens is all it can take is a tone of voice um, or uh, a, a look on somebody's face or body language to trigger, oh, that tone of voice is triggering my reptile brain because I the last time I heard that tone of voice, it, I got criticized or judged or blamed or shamed. So we hear the tone or we see the rolling of the eyes and it triggers the possibility of attack and our reptile brain takes over. Now, once couples have been together for a long time, and, and I say this to all of your viewers, everybody listening, think of somebody that you met and you had this amazing connection and, oh, you loved looking into each other's eyes, and you felt all this love. Maybe it was a lover. Maybe it was a friend. Fast forward, and now when you think of that person, you repulse, you mm -hmm. contract. We all have situations like that in our life, and it's, mm -hmm. it's tragic. So what happened? Right. What happened was we started experiencing being blamed, shamed, judged, criticized, attacked by that person. And our brain shifted from seeing that person as an ally or as the beautiful soul that they are into an enemy image. And that's why a lot of marriages go south, because people start storing the memory of when they were attacked or they perceived that they were being attacked, and the wall goes up. And then all of a sudden, simple things can trigger that reptile brain. Again, for all of you people listening, how many times have you had the experience where you looked at somebody that you have a long-term relationship with, and you were in neutral, but they looked at you and they go, what is it now? What is it? Well, their brain was projecting onto you a memory of when they felt judged by you or attacked by you. Mm -hmm. And we've all had that experience, right? That's all about the reptile brain taking over to protect us. Now, the place in the brain where we want to live is the frontal lobe, the forebrain. That's where the empathy center of the brain is, and it's where the observer part of the brain is. The Dalai Lama allowed brain researchers to do significant research. They hooked up electrodes to his brain and saw what was going on, and they ran tests with him for about 90 minutes. At all times, he was entirely living in his frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. His synapses were always firing there. Even at the end of the research, they showed him photographs 
of Chinese soldiers burning down a Tibetan temple. And as he looked at the photographs, he wept. He felt the sadness. But his synapses were still firing in the frontal lobe. Mm. They then asked him, how do you feel when you think about Chinese soldiers raping Tibetan women or murdering Tibetans? And he wept. He wasn't suppressing his feelings. He wept. And then his response was, it makes me remember how important it is to pray equally for the Tibetan people and for the Chinese. Yeah. So that is where we want to live. We want to learn how when our wife or our mother or our teenage son or our employer is saying something to us that hurts, we get scared, we feel attacked, learning how to not get abducted by our reptile brain where we only have fight or flight or freeze as a reaction, but to slow down, pull up, come into our frontal lobe where we can have empathy for ourselves, empathy for the other, and see the big picture. Yeah, it's, we talk about that a lot over at SP as being, you know, coming into the observer role or taking the witness seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You can, feel, you can feel the difference. If you're if you're someone who is more um, kinesthetically oriented, you can actually feel the difference when you're in your reptilian brain versus when you're in your frontal lobe. Like you can you can feel the concentration of energy at the back of your skull versus the front. And and you can feel it in your heart. Yeah. Because when we're in reptile brain, our heart hurts. Um, it Close. hurts. It yeah. closes, right? And actually you know, one thing to realize, again, as a biology thing, is that if we're really frightened, our neocortex shuts down and we can't access our mm-hmm. empathy center. Mm-hmm. You know, you've heard the term seeing red. Well, anytime any of us have seen red, it's because we were so afraid that we shut down, our neocortex shuts down, and we can't access our empathy center. And in that moment, we're a sociopath. That's the definition of a sociopath. They can't access their empathy center. That's what makes them dangerous. We all become sociopathic when we're seeing red. And that's why it's so important to learn what our vulnerabilities are, what the early warning signals are that we are going into um, reptile brain, um, and how to manage that. Yeah. Okay. So, so you said that you have some real, like you have tools that you use with people and I would love it if you could share with our audience what some of those tools are. I'm really curious too, because I love learning new things all the time. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's so. do, let's, let's do a practice. So yeah, let's do it. So I'm going to ask you and everyone who's listening to think of a really painful thought you've been running. A really painful thought. It can be a painful thought about another person. She doesn't love me. He'll never change. She doesn't respect me. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a painful thought about yourself. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not smart enough. I weigh too much. I'm unattractive. Pick one painful thought you've been running. And I want you to run it through your mind five or six times. And as you run this painful thought, notice if your body begins to react. 
Maybe you begin to contract somewhere. Maybe a place in your body begins to hurt. Running the painful thought over and over. How does your body react? Mm -hmm. Now, kind of coming back, uh, obviously, just for anybody listening, take note of how your body responded. And would you be willing to share, did your body in any way react at all? Felt a little bit of a, a contraction. Mm -hmm. In any particular place? Um, around my arms. Yeah. Okay. okay. And for everybody else, notice that. Now we're going to do this again. This time we're going to do something different. I'm going to ask you to put a phrase at the start of your thought. And the phrase is, I'm telling myself the story that... I'm telling myself the story that she doesn't love me. I'm telling myself the story that I weigh too much. I'm telling myself the story that I'll never find true love. Whatever your painful thought was. We're going to run those painful thoughts another five or six times. But this time, putting the phrase, I'm telling myself the story that dot, 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 whatever the thought was. Okay, is that clear to everyone? Hopefully it is. So again, in your own mind, the phrase and then the thought. The phrase and then the thought. I'm doing that five or six times. And noticing how your body responds this time. Yeah, there's more separation. Of course, because I only have you to give verbal feedback. Right. You know, yeah. But, and but, I'm, and, and you asked about what happened for I'm you. Not, I'm not, it's not my, my first rodeo. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it definitely, I mean, for me, when I, when I use that phrase, it creates more space and it creates more separation. It allows me to be more in that witness space. Right, right. Yeah. And I've, I've given this practice literally to thousands of people over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And about 90% of the time, people notice a significant positive difference from the first time to the second. Um, if you're part of the lucky 10% where you didn't notice uh, a significant difference, keep trying it. Um, you will notice a significant difference. And this practice is how we shift out of reptile brain because most people are in ongoing discomfort because of their thoughts. Again, we're not in physical survival anymore. It's very rare that we're actually in a circumstance consistently that's causing us pain. It's our I think, I think memories that, and thoughts that yeah. keep us in pain. Yes, and it's so, you know, you said something at the beginning of this conversation where you were talking about how, you know, most of us are actually not in survival anymore. And it is so it, it is as simple as a shift in perspective. It's like if you are listening to this podcast, you have access to technology that like chances are you are not like you have some kind of roof over your head. You you know that you're gonna be able to eat today. Um, you're not in survival mode, and yet we get stuck in this story 
that we are. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's such a powerful story. It can be, it can be so gripping. You know, we're, I think we're really addicted to the drama as, as, as humans. We really like drama. And to be able to, to really name um, something as a story that we're telling ourselves is, is just such a powerful way to, to shift. It's also part of our work of helping to support our biology to change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the mind is taking in a tremendous amount of input at any time and has to sort out what's important. So biologically, we've learned that what's most important is to remember pain. We remember painful encounters at a radically higher level than remembering pleasurable encounters, especially in our relationships, because our brain is trained to remember pain so that we will survive. Oh, that hurt, therefore I need to avoid that person or that situation, right? So learning to not, our brain is going to remember the painful encounter, but that's where we need to then learn to soothe our own nervous system by recognizing I am safe. Yes, I had a painful encounter with this person. Yes, it was hard with my wife. Yes, it was hard with whomever. And I'm safe. And I care about this person. And remember, the most important form of empathy is self-empathy. Learning how to soothe ourself to self-source so that we can then have compassion for the other person, as opposed to keeping the conflict alive by being in a constant state of attack and defend. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are, when you're working with couples, what are some of the most common um, ways that you see this playing out? So here's like another teaching or, probably my favorite tool when I'm working with actually not just couples, but any people that are in conflict or Mm -hmm. have a dynamic relationship. When a difference arises, the prime directive must always be to understand each other. Make that your prime directive. I love that you're using that term. I'm a big Star Trek fan. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's got to be the absolute committed prime directive. Mm -hmm. And recognize these are the three common human habits that will mess us up. One I just mentioned, attack and defend. Mm -hmm. We perceive we're being attacked, therefore we defend ourselves. and in defending ourselves, inevitably the other person feels attacked, or at the very least misunderstood. The second thing that throws us off, us beautiful, perfectly humans, is falling into right, wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. This is the right way, this is the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So just notice, when are we in attack and defend? When are we in right, wrong. And the third I call instant polarization. And this tends to happen in longer term relationships. It's when somebody thinks they're playing, quote, devil's advocate. And why would anybody really want to be an advocate for the devil anyway? That doesn't, I've never quite understood why someone would say that with pride um, or consciousness. Um, But it's, you, you see it's white and I immediately see it as black. You see it as good, and I immediately say it as bad, 
you know, and the, and we have the polarizations, Democrat, Republican. Um, so what we want to do is recognize when we're falling into those pits of separation and separate connection and separate thinking and instead come back into seeking to understand each other. Yeah, totally. I, I think of it as like the space between, you know, it's like we, we can, we're in this binary way of thinking um, or we can accept that there might be a third or a fourth or an eighth or a hundredth possibility to what yeah. might be happening, especially, you know, we're talking about understanding someone to, to, to really come to a place of understanding another, we have to be willing to a slow it down, slow down our, our uh, blame game, our, our thought process. And to really start asking some questions, like that's really where I, I love to guide people into like curiosity, you know, because when we think that we know, then all those other options are off the table. Like I love we, what you're saying. We Thank limit our possibilities, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Star Trek and also a big fan of Einstein. Mm-hmm. And Einstein is all about curiosity. And I love his quote, which I'm paraphrasing, which is the true measure of intelligence is how quickly we can change our beliefs. Mm. And if you think about the people that I respect and I trust are people that are open-minded and people that are dangerous are people that are closed-minded. A fanatic is closed-minded. He's so attached to his belief, he's willing to hurt or kill another to hold on to the belief. Um, whereas the more open-minded we can be, the more curious. And I want you to talk about curiosity because I love curiosity and I promote that in a huge way with couples. Mm -hmm. It is important to differentiate between what I call childlike wonder curiosity versus prosecutorial or (laughs) interrogative curiosity. All right, yes. I think I I love where this is going. All right, lay it out for us. Well, I'll do it by saying the same words with two very different tones. So childlike wonder might be, wow, why did you do that? Whereas interrogative prosecutorial would be, whoa, why did you do that? Yeah. Same words, completely different intention behind those words. Yeah, I, I really, um, I view it as an internal process, right? When, when you're curious, you actually want to know the answer that might not be the one that you have in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful one. Um, you know, one of the things, and this is something I learned from Marshall Rosenberg, is learning to make requests instead of demands. Mm-hmm. So how do you know if it's a request? Are you willing to hear no? Yeah. If, if you're not willing to hear no, no matter how you say it, it's got the energy of a demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, so this is an interesting one because people do not like to be told no. Mm-hmm. Right. This is, do you have any information around like the neuroscience behind that? <sighs> well, I, I'll respond not necessarily from neuroscience, but. Um, my observation, because I do a lot of teaching about how to hear and say no, 
is that we all want to be cared for. And especially in our important relationships, we want to be cared for. And most of us want to be seen as caring people. Mm-hmm. And so we interpret no as a lack of care. So we're afraid to say no because we don't want the person to think that we don't care about them, or we don't want to hear no because we interpret it to mean that they don't care. So let's always flip it. And what I suggest to people is when you're setting a boundary or when you're saying no, always lead with authentic reassurance that you care. I really do care about you, and I can't drive you to the airport. I really do care about you, but I can't meet whatever your request is. Right. We um, think that, that no means a lack of connection. Yeah. We, we interpret no as screw you, I don't care. Right. You know? and, and so that's, you know, I'm sure there's a neuroscience answer to it, but that's kind of my response to it. Yeah. I mean, you're not a neuroscientist, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like <laughs> throw you under the bus for that question. I was just curious because we were talking about frontal lobes, if there was any. Yeah. Any, um, it, I mean, it, to me, it just, it just comes back to, and, and I always come back to this space when, when we're talking about relationships is, is really what's our relationship with ourself and with our higher self and with, with our understanding of the divine and how that exists within us and moves through us. Because when we have connection with that, we can hear no, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, it doesn't shake us out of our, out of our boots because we know that we are precious children of the divine we know that we are loved infinitely and that that person can have their own experience and it's not actually about our worth and our value right right yeah i mean that's part of spiritual evolution spiritual maturity is to be looking less and less to other people to fill our void um and learning more and more how to self-source. And I am a strong believer that our most important relationship is to that which has many names. Some people call it God. Some people call it higher self, higher source, uh, universe, life, Jesus. Um, Whatever you call it, learning to cultivate an authentic relationship to, I like calling it the eternal beloved. That's some people call Bob. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Whatever you call it and whatever it is to you, cultivate that relationship because all other relationships will come and go. You know, as you know, we talked about this just before we started. My dog of 18 years is sitting right here on the bed with me and he's in his final days or weeks and I've been with him for 18 years. I've walked my wife through her death. I've walked my mother and my father through their death. People either leave or they die. It's our relationship to ourself and our relationship to our true self on the deepest level is our relationship to God, the divine, the eternal beloved, whatever you want to call it, however you imagine it. So often we get so attached to I have to be loved in this way by this person or else I'm unhappy or I'm unfulfilled. And we've all been there. I've certainly been there. I've certainly been attached 
to receiving love from a particular person, a particular way to feel good about myself. But hopefully we, we, and since this is the topic of your show, may we all cultivate the superpower of self-sourcing. And of course, the irony is the more we are not grasping for sex, grasping for romantic love, but available and receptive to receive it, but not grasping for it, the more attractive we become. It's that, that's such a trick for so many people. And yet it's so true. And sometimes knowing that actually makes it harder. Um, And yet, I mean, he's, he's right, folks. I mean, that is the secret sauce right there. It's, it's, Simple, but not always easy. But it's truth. It's truth. And so we just have to keep, like you said, we keep self-reflecting. When am I grasping, reaching for somebody's love, somebody's attention, for sexual fulfillment from my wife, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whomever? Um, And being available and receptive, uh, you know, it's like just, Everybody imagine the visual difference between when you're grasping for something versus when your palms are open and you're available to receive it, but not attached to it. Mm-hmm. And that's the energetic dynamic we ideally want to live in. Totally. Totally. And it's an art. It's an it art. It is an art. Do that. And it's, a, it's one that's, in my opinion, the, the most worthy to study mm. is how to live in that way of of non-attachment and non-attachment for me doesn't mean we don't care right it doesn't mean it doesn't mean oh la-di-da la-di-da i don't care of course we care you know my one of my favorite catchphrases is how perfectly human and we are human beings. We are spiritual beings, but we're in a human animal body. Mm-hmm. And in this animal body, we have animal urges. We become ravenous for food. We become exhausted and need sleep. We may become ravenous for sex or for primal needs being met. So we, we need to honor that, yes, we're spiritual beings, but we're having this human experience. And so it's a constant balance finding that balance of caring without attachment, really longing. What's the longing of my heart without grasping for it? Mm -hmm. Um, Being available to receive the incredible abundance of life and love without being too narrowly focused on it. Being available to new ways of thinking, everything we talked about with curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you and I were talking about before we got on to record this, like understanding that while we are in bodies and we are here having this human animal experience and and enjoy allowing ourselves to enjoy that experience with the understanding that we don't have to be identified with the body, with with that human animal aspect. We can be in those urges. We can have all of that move through us. And that is not who we are. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, you know, earlier we talked a little bit about when we turn someone into an enemy image. And so, again, we talked about what's really spiritual. Well, here's a spiritual practice that I encourage us all to work on. Never, 
seeing someone as a bitch or a jerk or an asshole mm. or any of those terms. Mm. Now, other people are going to make choices that don't meet our values and that sometimes have hurtful consequences. But learning to differentiate between the choice or the behavior that offends us or that doesn't meet our needs or our values versus seeing that person as a fill in the blank. That's it right there. That's it right there. That I think is the key to understanding and compassion because when we, when we just label somebody as like Mm -hmm. that person is an asshole Mm -hmm. in it's like, again, it's, we're in that binary thinking. We've decided we know and any, any space for that person to show up any differently had just got closed. Yep, absolutely. We, we put them into prison, mm-hmm. into the prison of our own judgment. Yeah. And that never creates connection and it never makes things better. Yeah. Um, but it can lead to war, personal war or, you know, when my grandfather fought in World War II, they didn't train him to kill Hans, Peter, and Jürgen. They kill, trained him to kill the dirty Nazis. Right. Or the you know the evil Japs, or mm. you know, and currently it's the evil terrorists. You know, we have to dehumanize someone in order to hurt them. Right. Yes, and it goes for ourselves too. By the way, mm-hmm. you know, notice when am I thinking? Oh God, I'm such an idiot. Oh my God, I'm such a fool. When do we make an enemy image of ourselves? You know, so noticing that as well. Scott, I love talking with you so much, um, and we are coming to the end of our time, so we have to sign off, but I just want to thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so rich and yummy for me to, to be in with you. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. And thank you. I, I really enjoyed it, too. And yeah, I think you and I could go on for hours. I know. I think we could, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I look forward to more in the future. To our listeners, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in. This show wouldn't exist without you. If you have not already joined in the Superpowers Are Real group on Facebook, please go and find us there and check out um, the programs page on the superpowerexperts.com website. We've got some really exciting uh, new program offerings, so please go check it out. If you are on this journey and you don't want to do it alone because you know that we are stronger together, go check it out. Um, get in touch with Scott. He obviously has some real beautiful wisdom. And again, thank you so much uh, for joining us here today. And to our listeners, until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many, many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.